Amen. Amen. Worship team, did you guys get some elements? I've got a stash over here for you. These gentlemen stayed. So as you file off the stage, they'll hook you up. While the, uh, while the worship team exits, stage left, let me pray for us. Lord, I, th- I thank you for the good, good, good news of your sacrifice. Thank you that you died for each one of us. And if we will accept you as the boss and medic of our lives, that we can be delivered from the things that oppress us. Lord, we pray that as we finish our reflections on your death on the cross, that you would show us afresh your power, your dominance, your destruction over the things that seek to destroy us. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. 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 All right. Thanks, communion folks. Appreciate that. What a blessing. And Mamata, thank you so much for reading from that gospel. We really appreciate that a lot, too. You did a great job. I love John's account of the crucifixion. That's a powerful one because it's, uh, he was standing right there as Jesus died. You notice that he says that there's a, the, the, the disciple Jesus loved was standing near his mom. That's how John refers to himself in the gospel, the disciple Jesus loved. I kind of think we should all refer to ourselves that way. But it's, so it's a firsthand account. You're getting up close and personal with what the, what the crucifixion was like. Um, I'm Jeff. If I had, haven't had a chance to meet you, and uh, tonight I've got some more good news for us. Um, and man, I needed some good news this quarter. Anybody else have a rough quarter? Whoa! Man, I am glad I'm not the only one. This quarter was a heavy one for me and for people particularly close to me. This is rough. And I have been so blessed each Friday to look at the cross together with you And to look up at Jesus there on that cross as Cameron preached God's truth for what he did for us by being up there. Mm. If you missed either of Cameron's sermons, you've got to go online and listen to those. They will do your heart so much good. Thanks, Cam. Good stuff. And I am excited to keep that good news train rolling tonight as we wrap up the quarter and our reflections on Christ crucified. You ready? Let's, let's get it. Okay, the good news tonight, I'm just going to say it right off the front. The good news tonight is that the death of Jesus on the cross destroyed the power of sin, of darkness, and of the devil. <laughs> and that's a lot. I get that. I know that's a lot of things. Some of you might already be like, what? What are these people talking about? That's right. We're talking about the devil tonight. <laughs> and how Jesus took him out on that cross. God's people have always believed in the devil. In fact, God's people, and actually most people around the world, understand that there's more to reality than just what we can see, hear, taste, smell, and touch. Western cultural materialists believe that there's nothing beyond or outside of or additional to the material world. Uh, the world that we, we encounter with our senses. They believe that reality is only as much as we can measure. But most cultures around the world, and certainly Jesus and his people have always said, nah, there's more than that. It's even in our Christian creeds. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, creator of all things, seen and unseen. 
And scripture teaches us that there's good and evil in the unseen, just like there is in the seen. Christians have always believed in angels and devils and even a boss devil called Satan, the accuser of God's people. He hates God. He's opposed to everything God loves. Jesus describes him like this in John 8, 44. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus is basically saying he's a lying liar who lies, lies, lies. In fact, one of Jesus' primary aims while he's on earth and doing his ministry was to push back on the devil's lies with truth and to free people from his attempts at wrecking what God loves. And when it comes to the crucifixion, Satan, the devil, was a major player in getting Jesus killed. The night of that first communion, which we just celebrated, um... That first time, that night they were together with Jesus with his original disciples, the authorities didn't know where Jesus was. He was keeping a low profile on the edge of town. They needed someone on the inside to help them find Jesus in the middle of the night so they could arrest him without the crowds knowing what they were doing because the crowds liked Jesus. John tells us that Jesus knew it was going to be one of his best friends, Judas. So he hands Judas a piece of bread at the meal And John 13, 27 says, As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. So Satan was a major player in in getting Jesus caught and killed. Because Satan's endgame is to destroy what God loves, to tempt us all into ruining ourselves with sin. There's a story where Jesus meets up with a guy who has lots of demons messing with his life. You can read the whole story for yourself in Luke 8, but the details of this story matter for us today, even tonight. This man, oppressed by an army of demons, listen to how he's described in Luke's gospel. We talked about this in D-class too, by the way. Come to D-class, talk about devils. (laughs) Starting in verse 27. Not the whole time, just one time. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. I think it's important and valuable for us to pay attention to the effects of this guy's demon-possessed life. Look at him. He's naked. We're told that he's not wearing any clothes, hasn't worn clothes for a long time, which in the first century world means he's horribly ashamed. It was a huge shame in first century Palestine for a man to expose himself publicly. So to be naked was horrifically embarrassing. So he's totally ashamed. He lives in the tombs, which means he's living somewhere where he might as well just be dead already. He's a danger to himself and others, and he's all alone, isolated, in solitary places, Luke says. 
I think this man's story gives us a vivid image of what the devil would like to do to every one of us. Maybe not this, to this crazy extent. You read the rest of the story, and it's a wild one. It's good stuff, though. And we're not ever told how this guy got so messed up by these demons. We don't know what his sort of life was like up to this point. We have no clue. So you don't want to draw any too many conclusions on how this guy got to this place. But this, I think, is a picture of the devil's end game for all of us. You ever feel lonely? Isolated? You ever feel crippling shame? Are you ever a danger to yourself or others? Maybe not violently, but what about how we talk? What about how we react when someone bothers us? I know I can be a danger to others if I'm not careful with my reactions. You just ask my kids. I yell too easy. Sometimes I lose my temper and I scare them with my volume. You ever find yourself in a cycle of harmful or sinful behavior that you just can't shake? I know I have. Now, oh, there's one more. It's important. Do you ever feel like life is pointless and empty and you might as well just get by till you die? That was my dad's motto in college before he met Jesus, to make myself as comfortable as possible while I'm waiting to die. Or worse, do you ever struggle with suicidal thoughts? Now, I'm not saying that if you've had any of those experiences ever before, that you are possessed. Don't worry. Relax, chill. You're not possessed by the devil. It's okay. We all feel those things. But for sure, for sure, the forces of darkness are excited when we feel those things. And don't you think they'll do everything they can to keep us there? They hate God. They hate what God loves, mostly me and you. So they'll do anything to wreck us, to ruin us, and to make sure that we wreck and ruin ourselves and each other. They can't face off with God directly. That's not even a contest. Jesus proves that when he steps onto the beach. He gets off the boat, and the devil goes, Ah, you're here! He knows it's over as soon as Jesus walks up. So they come at us. They come at God's kids, his lookalikes, his images. And lest you think this is something in the past or only happened back in Jesus' day, the Apostle Paul says, no, this struggle is real and ongoing. Satan and his devils aren't done yet. They're still trying to drag God's people down. Paul writes this to a young church around Ephesus in Ephesians 6, 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is still a thing. They are still trying to get us to do things that make us isolated, that harm people and harm ourselves, that shame us, that waste our lives. They try to get us to sin, to act against God's goodness for us and others. This struggle is not just against what we can see and hear and smell and taste and touch. Though there's plenty of struggle there too, by the way. Obviously. But there's a world beyond our senses. And the scripture is clear. Jesus can deal with that world too. The good news for us tonight is that the final, the ultimate, the total smackdown of the powers of darkness happens on that cross. In every way. Jesus' death on the cross, (laughs) 
punch the devil and kick the Satan. For those of you who weren't at fall camp, fall retreat, we missed you. Ask your friends about the dance that the whole staff did. It wasn't just me. They'll tell you what's up. But it's true. It's true. The act of Jesus dying on that cross is what hamstrung the powers of darkness and sin and the devil. In the book of Colossians, which we'll be studying all next quarter, get excited. Paul writes to his friends in Colossae, starting in verse 13, chapter 2. When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross on himself. And having disarmed those powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The powers of darkness, the demons, and Satan himself thought they could conquer the good news of Jesus' deliverance by having him killed. But what those bums didn't realize was that dying was exactly how Jesus planned on winning. If the powers of darkness want to see you and me all alone, shamed, pinned to the consequences of our sin, even to the point of dying, do you see how Jesus did all of that for us? Everything that oppressed man, the man oppressed by demons experienced, Jesus took on himself on the cross, so none of us ever would have to again. By taking on the effects of all that darkness, all that the darkness could do onto himself, by absorbing that, he made a way for us to be free of it, to be rid of it. There's a theologian and artist who I've been reading who's been super helpful on this. Akemeni Yuan writes, Violence was visited upon the body of Jesus Christ, who, of his own volition, laid down his life so that we would no longer be colonized by sin. What a concept, colonized by sin. Every laceration, welt, contusion, and gash from the crown of thorns embedded on his head was endured by Jesus for our salvation or our decolonization, our freedom, if you will. The devil thought he conquered Jesus when Jesus died on that cross. But Jesus conquered him and freed us. I'm here to tell you tonight that the devil, sure, is still a menace, but he will not win if you don't let him. I'm here to tell you tonight that Jesus has smashed him, finished him, ruined him, and bullied the bully so that all he's got left is trying to drag as many people down with him while he still can. But if you are in Jesus, if you have attached yourself to Christ, you can be rid of him. If you have attached yourself to the one who died for you, then you can be free of addiction and sin and all the side effects that all the devils would love to see happen to you and to me. Sometimes the devil gets at us with sin in our own lives. Sometimes the darkness and oppression is kind of our own doing, right? I know it is for me. Things I choose. Other times the devil gets at us with sin from other people's lives. Sometimes that mess gets on us, right? That's part of what had had me so down this quarter, made this quarter so heavy. The sin of other people got on me, and it was awful to help deal with. 
That's why this is such good news, even for me this quarter. The good news of the cross of Christ is that by suffering all the worst that the powers of darkness could do to him, that he absorbed it all for us. I no longer need to carry the load of sin, mine or someone else's, as if it hasn't been dealt with. You and I can be free of the devil. We can be free of sin. You and I can start helping other people get free of sin. You and I can be free from the cycles that the powers of darkness love to see us struggle with because of the cross of Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. I want to close our whole series. Well, close tonight, but it's also the end of the series. So close tonight by listening to a song by Jonathan McReynolds. Uh, It's a song James Jr. turned me on to, and I haven't been able to stop listening to it since, especially as I got ready for this sermon. This is our response. And if you want to stand while you listen, you can. If you want to sway in your chair while you listen, you can. If you want to lift your hands while it's going or snap, you can. I probably will. (laughs) Worship team, you can come up and get ready to lead us in celebration when the song's finished. But I invite you to not just listen to this song, but engage with it. It builds. It grows. Listen to the lyrics. Listen to the truth that he sings. Because it celebrates beautifully the good news we're talking about tonight. Wrestling with sin and being delivered by the power of Jesus from the powers of darkness. And then when the song's over, I'll pray for us. And we'll keep singing and keep celebrating. Okay? We can get the lights and start playing that song. That would be great.
keep us in cycles. We worship you because they don't have to stick us in that cycle anymore. 
God, there's so many things, big picture, societal cycles that we need deliverance from. There's things internally. All of us have sins that come to mind like, God, would you get me out of this cycle? And there is power in your name to break every cycle. There is power in your cross to break every cycle. You have absorbed all that the devil can do to you and come out the other side smiling, saying, what now? You're done. Jesus, we worship you, and as we continue to celebrate with our own songs, with our own music, with our own worship, Lord, we celebrate you, and we declare that we can be free from the powers of the devil, from the powers of darkness, from the powers of sin in our lives, because of what you have done on that cross, by your own volition, your choice. You got up there so we could be free, and we celebrate that, and we worship you, God. Amen.